Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and I'm just uh, decided, as I mentioned last time, it's time to transition to uh, another chapter. And so we were, we were talking about intersection types for a while. And I decided I wanted to talk to you about something kind of different. Um, and I, I did get some suggestions. I got one listener gave me some ideas that were very tempting. That could have led me down the path of sort of like algorithmic properties of type inference, kind of like, you know, complexity of type inference algorithms and this kind of thing for this or that type system. That, I'm sure I would have learned a ton from exploring that. So thank you to Akimbo for kind of pointing me in that potential direction. I might come back to that. Um, but <laughs> um, I, I, I want to po- uh, pick something that will require a little less intensive study on my part because I am I definitely can pull out my I'm not an expert t-shirt and my I'm not an expert hat and my I'm not an expert pen um, or whatever to talk about that subject. So again, it'll be very, I'm sure I would learn a ton and it, I hope you would too if I covered that at some point. But um, I decided with other things I need to be doing that I'd like to pick something. Well, first of all, I want something that's going to be synergistic with what I'm doing in my own research and stuff right now. And this summer, I'm hoping uh, to do what I was supposed to do last summer, which is work on a new version of our Sedil, um proof assistant. And uh, we've been hard at work on theory for this for quite a while, uh, for the new version of Sedil. And um, anyway, so and as I've thought about that gearing up for that engineering effort, uh, which will be fun, you know, as a researcher, you know, you kind of, um, your main job is to publish papers, uh, but it's as a computer scientist, you also love coding. And so sometimes, you know, you're writing a lot of papers and then sometimes it's time to write some code. And I mean, you know, working in programming languages is pretty great because a lot of times your papers are about your code. <laughs> That's good. Um, but anyway, so this summer I'm, I'm psyched to get a chance to hopefully work on uh, a new version of Sedil. And I'm going to write it in Haskell. That's my plan. Um, and hopefully get involved some of the folks who are working here this summer with me um, on their research, doctoral students. So uh, anyways, but the, the, for doing this, the thing I actually want to talk about that I would like to learn a little bit more about that won't be quite such an intensive oh my gosh, pouring through impossibly difficult papers kind of activity will be, um, I mean, the intersection type pap- types papers were, you know, are pretty hardcore. I mean, heaven forbid you should have to look at the Baron Dreck book. <laughs> so intense. Um, anyways, uh, I want to talk about module systems, okay? So chapter 13, I hereby inaugurate to talk about module systems. <clears throat> this is something that if you're not into just like the egg-headed, that pointy-headed, maximally pointy-headed uh, type theory sort of stuff, if you're more like a mainstream programmer, you might be you know, interested in thinking about module systems. And uh, so that's what I want to talk about. And the part of the reason I want to talk about that and why I want to learn more about it myself is that, uh, so for Sedil, we had, with Sedil 1, as I'm calling it now, with Sedil 1, we have a module system. And uh, it's actually pretty nice. It, it has some of the features in common with the Agda, Agda module system, but it's not, in general, as fancy as Agda's module system. Um, uh, but it still has this idea that you could say you've got a module that takes some parameters. And I think that's a pretty cool idea. Um, 
Anyway, but what one thing that one lesson we learned from Sadil One, and it took uh, the great Larry Deal, um, who is a really amazing implementer and very super knowledgeable type theory and functional programming expert. It took him quite a while when he was postdocing here to design and implement this module system, and it was uh, and, and its interactions with other parts of the code and and interactions with probably what is not the well, I'm sure is not the greatest implementation of renaming and alpha conversion and stuff that's I take responsibility for. Um, it basically meant that there were quite a few bugs and issues and problems related to modules and names and variable binding. Um, we, as, as has been warned, you know, people who are implementing dependently typed languages will, will tell you you're going to face basically anything with binding structure. But dependently typed languages, because you have certain kinds of bindings in the types that can create um, new possibilities to screw things up, uh, you know, people will tell you that this is hard and it's easy to mess things up. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that th those people are not kidding. It's really true. Um, name, variable names are, are just a nasty problem. And when you combine that with basically a complicated namespace management system in, in a, with modules, now you've just got a formula for misery. And, and it really was just this baffling, to me, as somebody who didn't implement this code, it was a sort of troublingly baffling part of Sadil 1's implementation was the modules and the naming and all this just became alarming. And so I, I want to, you know, I, I, the module system in Sadil 1 kind of got added as a second step. Like we sort of had this like core theory implemented and then it was time to add a module system. Now for, for Sadil Omega, which is how we pronounce two, because we're feeling <laughs> fancy about our upgrade here. Sadio Omega, um, uh, meaning the first limit ordinal, of course. Uh, we, I'm gonna, the module system is going to come first. I think it needs to come first because resolving names is such a critical part of type checker and interpreter and everything. You need to have at least the interface that you want kind of pinned down. And so my goal is to figure out how I want to do modules, both in the, at the language design level, like what kind of module system, what's the particular design for module system we want to use, and then at the implementation level as well. Um, so so in the, the, the episodes following today, so today I just want to talk about some sort of general considerations and get my motivation as I'm doing for why I want to discuss this topic. And in, in subsequent uh, episodes, I would like to try, to the best of my ability to, and, and limited time, to sort of dig around in existing module systems. Uh, I mean, goodness, this could be, a, I'm sure you could have a master's thesis on, um, you know, module system designs in the past. Uh, going back to probably languages like Modula, <laughs> a classic language I couldn't tell you much about, except that, well, I understand that modularity was some important design consideration. Uh, but there's, you know, lots of languages. I mean, virtually, virtually any language has some kind of notion of a package or some kind of higher level way of organizing my code. Um, I mean, C might be an exception. I just include files and just get this big stream of code. Um, but, uh, you know, pretty much everything else has something. And some languages have, like, pretty fancy or even, like, um, possibly overly fancy module systems. I'm looking at you, standard ML. <laughs> I hope I didn't alienate too many people by that comment. 
but I want to try to look and report to you, uh, you know, some some of the papers or documentation for different languages and talk about their different module systems. And I will focus on functional languages, naturally enough, uh, and type theoretic languages. I don't want to, I don't plan to go dig around too much into the, you know, Pythons and whatever else is of the world. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, so one of the things I wanted to think about, and honestly, this is like live thinking. <laughs> Here I'm thinking live. Okay, I would like to consider with you, what is the point of a module system? Okay, and this, and I, I'm, I'm saying I'm thinking live because I actually don't know. And I'm not even really sure I know what some of the main answers to that question that you might find advocated are. Um, so I just want to kind of um, scratch around in the dark a little bit, and hopefully that will prompt um, outrage listeners to correct me, or will um, give me at least my own starting points to, to dig a little more and see what other people have said. You know, but um, certainly I think it does. It can't be questioned that one one important role of a module system has got to be considered to be namespace management. Okay, so when we're writing code. We are generally, you know, following principles of programming that go back many, you know, decades and generations. We are breaking, you know, we're writing our code in little chunks, and we are typically giving names for those chunks. We're using procedural abstraction or functional abstraction in some way to break down a complex program into, you know, more manageable pieces. And we give these pieces names. And, but, you know, just like being in a, um, you know, large family, we can start to have namespace collisions. You know, here's Johnny and Johnny Jr. and um, Johnny C. And <laughs> I mean, we could we could start to um, run into issues where there are just too many names uh, in scope. So we need some way to kind of control that because, say, we have a billion line code base, the way Google supposedly has, um, or multi-billion line code base. A lot of code, right? A lot of code. Um, even if code is, you know, written in big chunks, we still expect there to be a humongous number of names in all that code, and we need some way to kind of organize that. So at the very least, modules are supposed to give you some kind of namespace control where I can say, like, I've got a module or a package or whatever it is, and the names in there are somehow grouped together under that module. It's kind of like in set theory, just have like a set. I've kind of got a set of names, and um, that... Having organizing those names into some set, into some module or package or whatever, now is a, is intended to give me some way to kind of control. At the very least, um, for example, I I have my enormous code base, and my little piece of the code I'm working on right now needs you know three or four other modules that have already been defined, which in turn depend on five or six other modules and 20 or 30 other modules. So I have a big cascade of dependencies, but my code only needs to directly reference some of these dependencies, right? So even though like a change in some dependency of my dependency might cause problems for me, I am only re directly referencing things in my immediate you know, set of dependencies. So that means from a namespace perspective, if I've sort of grouped things together, grouped names together into modules or packages or whatnot, and then, um, and then my piece of code I'm writing just says, well, I need, you know, the hash map package and I need the um, MP3 codec package and, you know, I need one other thing. Then 
Um, and I say, I want to use all the names in those packages. Great. Now I dump, you know, a few, like, let's say a couple hundred names into my namespace, or maybe not that many, maybe, maybe 80 names just get added to my namespace when I say I want to use these packages. But I don't automatically, I'm not automatically forced to absorb all the names of all the packages that they might use. So I get some protection um, from the sort of like just namespace overload problem. And that, that is clearly um, one important role of modules is to provide some kind of organization um, and shielding your code from all getting all the names exposed to it, right? It's just too much. And, and there'll be too many collisions. Like, I want to write a function called map in my code. And, uh-oh, you know, in the, dependent, in the transitive closure of my dependencies, you know, there's like 50 different functions already called map. You know, oh, man, that's not good, right? So uh, I just want, I don't want to be bothered with those. Uh, but particularly if they don't, if they're not in my immediate dependency set, then, then I, I'm, I'm all clear, right? I can just define my, I have fewer functions to conflict with the, fewer names to conflict with the names I want to use. So that's certainly got to be one part of what a module system does. Um, what else could a module system do? Um, uh, well, so, okay, related to, that, that's like at a high level. I mean, if, we'll, if we dig down deeper into that, we're, we're looking at like how to control which names are added to my current scope, right? Because, you know, I have grouped some names into, into a module and I want to have some notion that I can make use of those names or maybe use them in a qualified way, right? So it's typical, often, you know, you say, well, I'm going to, um, I might have to give a, a sort of qualified name, like, oh, from the, from the you know, Babel package, you know, I want to use this fun this function or whatever. So I would say like babel.f, something like this. So anyway, I'm just saying like namespace management, there there's could be a lot of things to think about just with that. Um, but I want to try to summarize here as I'm heading back from getting an oil change in a pretty gloomy but still definitely spring day here in Iowa. The red buds are blooming, which is a very pretty time to see the trees flowering. I hope you're getting to see some beautiful things where you live as well. Um, and uh, anyway, so okay, so name, namespace management is one big thing. What else are modules supposed to do? Well, some languages, modules are, um, are provide a very important form of abstraction, uh, abstraction, where we can do things like say, well, I've got my code, and it's got a whole bunch of stuff, but I don't want to expose all the internals of that code to the, the whole world. Because for one thing, you know, I, you know, I, I as a developer of some some module, some package, or some piece of code, I have in mind they're like, well, these are the entry points I want people to use. I've got a bunch of internal stuff, but I don't want people to, to depend on that or like try to call into that directly. For one thing, I maybe I don't, you know. I want more freedom that maybe I'll, I'll decide to change some of that stuff later. I'd like, pe I'd like to know what my interface is that I'm sort of committing myself to. Uh, and then what part of my code do I have more flexibility about changing? So, um, so in some languages, uh, the module system helps provide you tools for abstracting your code, saying, I'm going to export these things. Um, these, uh, I might export what the definition is for something, but I might keep something completely opaque. I'm thinking of here of like in the ML family, like standard ML and OCaml and stuff. Um, they they have a tradition of 
um, defining like a module presenting sort of an abstract type. So, you know, say you have a hash map module and you don't really, you don't want to expose all the details of how that works to the outside world. You just want to expose an interface. I mean, this is a really basic idea of computer science, right? To have an interface. You don't need to know or deal with all my code. You just need to know if you want to use my code, you call these functions. These are the types involved, right? So having a typed interface, one, one way people use modules in some languages is to erect typed interfaces to code. So you say, here are these five abstract types of my module. I'm not saying what they are. I'm just saying they're called tree and key type and, you know, blah, blah, some other stuff. And these are, I just give these abstractly. Within the module, I'm going to define them and, you know, you, my code within the module is going to depend on the definition I give for these abstract types. But the outside world, the users of the module are, are not only are not supposed to care about that, the language prevents them from caring about that. They can't um, interact with that module um, trying to take advantage of of what the actual definitions for these abstract types are. And then the module says, and here are some, you know, here are these functions that you can call to, to do things um, with the values of these abstract types. Right, like say you had a, you know, I mean, this is such a familiar idea. Uh, you know, in, in something like Java, you have, um, I mean, the, the, this idea of abstraction can appear at sort of different levels of granularity. And sort of with the module where, um, the, the module systems that allow this kind of thing are um, providing abstraction at the sort of granularity of, you know, like a, a group of functions, kind of like I want to just present a group of functions with some abstract types and let you make calls to those. And so in a sense, it's a little bit like an interface in an object-oriented language like Java, having an interface that just says, well, you don't get to know the concrete details of some class, but you just know that well, it provides these functions, these methods, and you can use them to do stuff. Um, and so that's another role of, a prominent role of module systems is uh, abstraction, abstracting at this kind of level. And now you see there's, um, once you sort of head in that direction, then I think you, there, you are kind of led to some of the designs like in the ML family of languages where your module system, like once I say, okay, I'm going to erect these interfaces, but what if I want to say, well, my interface um, that I'm providing sort of makes sense if you provide me an implementation of some other interface, right? So like you say, um, you know, I don't know, say, I mean, this is kind of a trivial one, but say like I'm having a, a sorting module. Okay, I guess you probably wouldn't do that as its own module level, but just since I'm pulling at the garage just for sake of finishing this up, you know, say like a sorting module and it's like, well, I, you know, I'll sort, I'll provide, okay, just say you had a list module and you say, I'm going to provide a sorting function, but for that to work, um, I, this module itself depends on somebody giving me an interface for a comparator, like some kind of interface for values of my list that might include the ability to compare those values, right? And so, um, so now you have sort of one module kind of needs uh, to depend on another and it would rather one interface depends on another interface and so um, is that the right way to say that I mean I have I've got an interface and so some module that inter implements that interface is basically going to say I need you to give me 
um, an implementation of some other interface for, for, for you to get the implementation of this interface. Um, so, uh, so that's another kind of, once we try to use module system to erect uh, abstractions, we may find ourselves led to have this sort of ability to have these things depend on, on each other. Um, okay, so, hmm, not really sure if I missed anything, but I'm home, so I got to stop talking. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Shoot me an email if you've got any thoughts or suggestions on module systems, and otherwise I'll try to post again. Sorry, I'm not posting terribly frequently these days, but hopefully in a week or so. All right, take care wherever you are.